Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and some minor spoilers for Into the Spider-Verse. Hello! My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked media podcast where we dive deep to your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, in the airlock, we're traveling across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> We've seen it. It's incredible. It's incredible. We will be talking about it. And in the hive mind, we will be interviewing the, one of the Across the Spider-Verse co-directors, Kemp Powers, in an absolutely delightful chat. And... Our nerd out comes from Amy on the YA series, The Lunar Chronicles. Coming up, a non-spoiler and then spoiler discussion of Across the Spider-Verse. We're stepping out of the airlock to talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We're going to give you our non-spoiler reaction, then we're going to dig into uh, the plot and what we thought of the movie. Uh, here we go. Here's the non-spoiler reaction. Absolute masterpiece. Masterpiece. 10 out of 10. Modern five masterpiece. Out of five. Modern classic. Changes the game again. One of the things I wrote this on my letterbox review was like, which I usually just write jokes on there, but I wrote like a three-paragraph review. It's absolutely delicious to me that every studio has basically spent the last five years trying to copy what they did in Into the Spider-Verse and then Across the Spider-Verse came out and did something completely different. Like animation-wise, it is absolutely mind-blowing. From the opening 10 minutes, you know you're in for something completely special. And then you add to it that it introduces characters who I would say will become even more iconic yeah. than Penny Parker, Spider-Noir, Spider-Ham, these characters we got in the first movie. You get Spider-Punk, you get you know Spider-Bite, you get... Spider-Man India. There's so many brilliant characters and all of that happens. It's funny, but also it's still about Miles and this journey and it's so emotional. And if you love the first movie, I feel like you're going to love this movie. And I just, it blew my mind. I was not, I knew I was going to really love it, but I didn't really know how much of an impact it would have on me. Yeah, I think you said exactly the right thing. If you loved the first movie, that combination of high-flying action really funny, legitimately funny jokes and a incredibly moving story with crazy high stakes considering you're looking you're watching an animated mm -hmm, Spider-Man film. Mm -hmm. It's all there again, just heightened and in a different way. The emotional beats are heartbreaking. This film brings Miles to a place where he has to make an incredibly almost impossible decision. Um and I didn't think that anything could top for like my breath catching in my chest the moment where uh, in Into the Spider-Verse where uh, Miles is, you know, he gets his new costume and he's figuring out like how to be Spider-Man, you know, and he jumps off of course. the Chrysler building and his head pitched all the way down and he's just like, you know, hurtling towards the ground before he swings and like starts careening across the city. That moment is jaw-dropping and across the Spider-Verse is like filled with moments like How that. crazy is that? Like you put, you bring up such a good point. Immediately like 10 point like jump to my mind. There are visual moments. There are quiet moments that still just absolutely 
change your perception of what an animated movie can be and what a kid's movie can be. This is a movie that respects kids so deeply and respects its audience and respects comic books and comic creators, which is something we talk about with Kent Powers in our chat. It's moving on so many levels. This is like, it happens to me a lot because I just love, I love cinema, Mm -hmm. you know, as well as like trash movies and all the stuff I always talk about. But like, Sometimes movies are just so beautiful, they make you cry. I remember the first time I saw the Lego movie, I knew nothing about it. I had not been living in the world of like trailers and and, and I didn't really comprehend that the movie looked like it was made of stop motion Lego. And I remember when it opened up and showed the screen, I got that feeling in my chest of like, oh, I'm going to cry. Like this is making, this is beautiful. This is stunning. I can't believe it. And this movie did that to me so, oh, so many, many times. times. So many different art styles, so many different aesthetics, so many different narrative spaces to tell these stories. It's unbelievable. I could never believe that they were going to top the first movie, but I think they did it. It is amazing. See it. We have discovered uh, from our from co-director Kemp Powers, who we uh, just interviewed, and you're going to hear his voice later, that uh, it's only available on IMAX the first week it's yes! out. Yes! Because then we have uh, it's Transformers and then The Flash. So if you want to see it in IMAX, go see it in IMAX this week and then come back and listen to our conversation with all the spoilers. Absolutely see it in IMAX because it will melt your eyeballs. Mm -hmm. It is, you just feel like you're in the film. You feel like you're in the film. You feel like you're in a comic book. You feel like you're in a computer. You feel like you're in Miles' universe and Gwen's universe and everyone else's universe. It's unbelievable. Go see it. Go see it. Stay tuned for the spoilerful discussion of Across the Spider-Verse. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> Dude, seriously, like... Oh, my God, wow. What a film. Let, well, let me... T- so when I saw uh, Into the Spider-Verse, I, it blew me back in my seat, not necessarily because of how incredibly visceral the action was, how high-flying, how wonderful the character designs of Green Goblin and the Scorpion. Oh, and the Kingpin? That huge Kingpin design. Of of all of them looked, but because there was a richness of emotion that I was, like, not expecting. When Mm -hmm. you meet alternate Peter, who is, like, divorced and going through it, and you marry that energy with Miles trying to figure out his life and what it means to be him and what direction he's going to take in his life and whether he deserves to go to this elite school or Mm -hmm. not and trying to balance these new powers and being a superhero, this intense secret he has with the love he has for his family, the love he has for his uncle, and this feeling that he has to bear the weight of this new responsibility. It's like it is incredible and it just really hits you. Mm -hmm. And Across does that in a different way that completely fits what this movie is. It's more refocused on Gwen. It's more refocused on Miles. And you said something really uh, that I've been, uh, that really hit me uh, when we were talking in our non-spoiler conversation, which is like, it really respects kids. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, I said this before in different places, but um, I hate when people deride like kids stories and yep. kids materials because there are fundamental existential, huge emotional questions that come up when you're a kid that matter to you forever for the rest of your life. And 
you know, like, do you, am I loved? Does does the people, does the person I love love me? What happens when we don't exist anymore? Yeah, what well, happens my, to the people I love when they I, pass on? How, how, how does my family feel about me? What would it feel like if they reject me? Um, those are like fundamental questions that you will think about for the rest of your life. And this movie lands those Oof. questions in a way that makes the stakes so incredibly powerful. You know, like the first movie, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler for this uh, 2018 movie. Yeah, uh, the the Miles's universe, Peter Parker, Spider-Man dies like in the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And that does so much to set up the stakes of this movie. Like you don't know what will happen. Spider-Man can die. Yeah, it's like Drew Barrymore being killed at the beginning of Scream. You never expect it. This is your hero. It's Spider-Man, right? It's Peter Parker. There isn't something necessarily like that in this movie, but the stakes are so much more powerful. One, because you care about these Mm -hmm. characters already built in from seeing the first movie. And then they just do such a good job of fleshing out the interior life of teenage Miles Morales and teenage Gwen Stacy. And... It's magical. And then you marry that with some of the most experimental and jaw-dropping animation that you can see. Yeah. Like it, it takes all of so many different animation styles for specific characters, but also for specific universes. And it somehow makes it all incredibly energetic, but not chaotic. Not yeah. where you're like, I don't know what's going on and I can't focus on anything. It just sucks you in. It, it's amazing. It feels like... A film that truly understands the possibilities of the multiverse. Now, we already may feel like we are saturated in multiverse storytelling. This is something I was thinking about a lot this morning. Even as people who love the multiverse, who've been invested in it since we first read Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? Like now, a lot of people are like, oh, the multiverse, you know, this, the Flash TV series just finished. That was about the multiverse. Quantumania was about the multiverse. The Flash movie coming out is actually the same plot line the Flash TV yeah. show just did. Endgame. And Endgame. Arguably, yeah. multiverse menace. Yeah. Arguably, this Mars Morales movie from the story that we have heard about the Flash also has similar storylines to what the Flash would be doing. But I will tell you something. This makes you feel like millions of universes exist and you are visiting them. It understands every single universe would look different. People would look different in each universe. There are infinite possibilities, which means one universe can be hand-drawn, one universe is watercolored, one universe looks just kind of exactly the same, but it's animated at a slightly different frame rate. And I'm not even teasing the visual impact that these things will have on you. This is a movie that understands the possibility of the multiverse. And it is just absolutely astounding. It, you know, it strikes me listening to you say that. I think one of the things that makes the multiverse so um, lived in in this movie is that very smartly, this film makes the multiverse a thing that's keeping Miles away from his friend. Mm -hmm. Gwen misses Miles. Miles misses Gwen. And they can't be in the same place because of the multiverse and all these canonical rules around how Spider-Men evolve in their particular universes. But basically, it's the multiverse as the longest long-distance relationship like you've ever had. And not just with somebody who you might have a crush on like Gwen, but somebody who was your mentor. Like Peter, where's Peter B. Parker been? Miles has had to do this himself, but we meet Miles here. One of the things I know people will be really excited to see, he's competent. He can do it. He is Brooklyn's Spider-Man. There is no question anymore. He's not a, a scrawny kid, you know. He's a teenager. And I mean, the funniest thing is, I think, if we 
did our classic recap style thing where we really, actually, this is what happens. Miles Morales is in Brooklyn in his universe. Gwen Stacy comes to visit him from her universe, but she's not in her universe anymore because she's joined like an elite team of spider people. Right. And she's on a mission. She's keeping that secret. And she can't stay in her universe because her dad has rejected her, right? And then you go to Nueva York. You meet Miguel, uh, you know, O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099. And there he leads this elite force of spider people and they want Miles to do something unthinkable. So unthinkable, I don't even think it's worth us mentioning in the spoiler conversation, you know? And the funniest thing is that's really the plot of the movie, but actually there's just so much more to it. Like this is a movie, if you love Easter eggs and you love crossovers and you've been wondering when will Miles Morales animated crossover with the MCU? When will it crossover with the Sony-verse? You are going to get those joyous moments here that make you feel like all these universes exist. I will also say, now this is a spoiler, but it's just a nerdy spoiler that we love. They reference the MCU directly here and they call it the correct name, the 1999 universe, 19999. Kevin Feige, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And they complain (laughs) about Stephen Strange. They complain about him messing with the multiverse. You know, there is a connectivity here that feels exciting but it never takes away or dampens from the story it's that we get to see. Story. It's an emotional story about people coming together, about friendship, about destiny. And it also introduces us to these characters like Spider-Punk, you know, played by Daniel Kaluuya, just so brilliant and infinitely iconic. I mean, you want him to be in the whole movie when he leaves for it's the perfect time for him to leave the movie and the perfect and he way leaves in a moral way the perfect way for him to leave because he is a, a total rebel punk against the grain kind of character who like looks at every kind of rule sideways mm-hmm. uh, and you get that because this movie is and and its predecessor is so brilliant at show don't tell storytelling but you just get that in the in the moment you meet him and it's like man i wanted him in the whole movie yeah not to mention the fact that that he acts as one kind of spoke in the burgeoning love triangle between miles and gwen it's that is such a really powerful emotional driver you know those little things of like oh you left your sweater it is in his world what, like, like, do you like, sleep over there yeah, like, like what and i love the way that again like we talk about this respecting kids, respecting your audience. A kid who was 10 when Into the Spider-Verse came out is 15 now. Can you imagine getting to watch Into the Spider-Verse and then grow up and see Miles maturing, see Miles in these situations? And who doesn't love a love triangle? And, you know, Kent Powers was talking in our chat about this this great idea of Spider-Punk needs to be so cool that he makes Miles look uncool, which is like an almost impossible feat after the first movie. But the way that they represent him, again, this is something that's so exciting and comes to life so deeply on screen, but Spider-Punk is brought to life essentially as a zine. He's constantly collaged. He changes color. He goes from black and white to full color to almost like a Rizzo print where he's different, three different colors. He, the, way, the way that his guitar sits on his back is like someone cut a guitar out of an advertisement. Yeah, and didn't and cut put, around and, the edges. Yeah, and didn't cut around the edges and glued it onto his yeah, back. Yeah, and sometimes he's got newsprint over yeah. his face. That's just one example of the ambition that they are telling this story with, and it never takes away from it. I'm sure that for some people it will feel overwhelming or it won't necessarily feel as clean as the original. But to me, it was such a 
unbelievable experience to see these characters brought to life. And obviously, the funniest thing about this movie is one of the things people are most excited about is all these different spider people, right? Yeah. And that is great. And they have some really, truly weird spider people in this movie. You have... Like, you have uh, Werewolf Spider-Man, you have yeah. Web Slinger Spider-Man and his horse. You have uh, one of the coolest, newer Spider-People, uh, Spider-UK, who's like a young Muslim woman. There's all different Spider-People and you get to experience this them. PlayStation 4 Spider-Man. PlayStation 4 Spider-Man in multiple armors, <laughs> may I just say. And like, it is such a cool space to experience all these little Easter eggs and fun stuff, but it never, it only is ever additive. Yes, it's just the right amount. And the other thing that's just incredible about this movie, and I'll say this again, you'll hear me say this to Kemp, is it's two hours plus, 210? 220. 220. It feels like a 90-minute movie. Oh, it, it goes past so quickly. It never lags. You are thrown into this world wholesale. And uh, you speak about this on the po uh, in the chat, but it's so true, like... Even as, you know, a 34-year-old woman watching this movie whose job it is to know about this stuff. This yeah. is part one. This is a this is going into I, the I third movie, right? We one. knew it. But like you get to the end and it leaves you on this unbelievable cliffhanger. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you get this great soaring moment of Gwen kind of putting together this band of heroes. And I went, oh my God, it's it's gonna finish. When like, it, it's when over. it ended, when the when the credits came on. Right after that scene. People were like, come was, on! Yeah, there was like multiple people in the theater just went, oh, come on. <laughs> and it was like, that doesn't happen in a screening. No, it keeps you wanting more. It And it's a classic old school serialized style cliffhanger too, like the old Batman and Robin episodes yeah. where they would show one after the other. This is not a like, oh, there's a post-credit scene that teases what happened next. This is a, oh, you are going to want more. And the first thing everyone... Go buy your tickets and, five minutes out of walking. Me and Chris. <laughs> yeah. It was me and Chris, my friend Joelle, Valerie, Nick. We were all there. And the first thing everyone does, get out the phone. Like, when does it come out? <laughs> yeah. Like, when is it? When is it? Is it April? Is it March? I believe it's March, the next one. But, like, it is that great. And there is so much here that will inspire people, that will get people excited, that will make another generation of people want to become comic book fans, want to become Spider-Man fans. Yeah. And it also is this incredibly complex meta text on the nature of comic book yeah, canon the, the and the rules, the rules of, of the, comic the conventions books. and the way characters are perceived. Yeah, It can be, and I actually hilariously think it's coming at a really incredible time. If you've been... Oh, an incredible timing, I should say. If you've been keeping up with comic book news recently... There has been a huge amount of controversy about the choice to kill Kamala Khan in the current Amazing Spider-Man comic book. Now, as we know, and as Kent Powers will talk about, characters come back. Yeah. And there are many reasons be, why they may the, do this. She'll be on the bench for a year, if that, six months. Because she's got know. a movie coming out. You yeah, know, yeah. Let's be real. In the movies, she's a mutant. In the comics, she's an inhuman. We could imagine something might change yeah. there. But. Something very interesting about that choice is it happens in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man and some people have gone through and they've looked. Kamala's barely on 15 pages through the whole series, but that is a book where historically they kill people for emotional impact. They kill a woman, a young woman, they kill Gwen Stacy or they kill a parental figure, they kill Uncle Ben. That is almost a trap for a Spider-Man book. No matter what happens, you have to kill someone to push Peter's story forward. It is unbelievable that we now have a movie that looks at that history and says, this is actually wrong. 
You know, what if you didn't have to do that? What if you could yeah. say no to that rule? What if you were the person who said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill someone for this reason. I'm actually going to push back against that and say, what if I changed the canon? And obviously, Miles changed the canon and changed comics forever when he became Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. But it's just that timing is so wild. And that moment, you're already invested in the movie. You love the movie already. If you're me, you're watching it. You're like, oh, this is incredible. I'm seeing comic book characters. I'm seeing Sanford Green's name. I'm seeing comic books drawn by Rick Leonardi. This is incredible. And then they put that in and you go, oh, wait a minute. This is like, this isn't even, you haven't even gotten to the meat of what this story is actually trying to say. It's unbelievable. I think it's, I mean, I thought that uh, Into the Spider-Verse was the best Spider-Man movie, period. Uh, None, the best. No question. I think you have to, Across is better in the way that a sequel should be better. In the rare way. I, it, it, I'm saying, look, I, I, put this, I put this out there already. Masterpiece, I agree. I think this movie is so good. I have to see it a few more times. I think it's in contention for like, one of the best superhero movies ever oh, it's made, clearly, if not it, the best comic I think book it's clearly, movie. I think these two movies are clearly among the very, very, very best, like in the top echelon of of comic book movies ever made, easily. 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 And also, the movies that feel most like they were adapted from yeah. a comic book. This is not, oh, this is a character who was in a comic book. How do we make it grounded? Let's militarize the suit. Let's give them, like, an army background. This is... Oh, you like comics. Do you want to see a movie that feels it, like you're reading a comic book? It translates what for me was the magic of comics when I first started picking mm -hmm. them up, which is like anything can happen. You can see anything. Yes, you yes, can see I a love guy that. A planet. You know, you can see a planet that's <laughs> Galactus, alive. Galactus, where yeah, are you? You? Could, you could just see anything. And this movie conveys that kind of energy, that magical moment of like, I know story. I don't know what I'm going to see next. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, this movie is so good that we haven't even talked about one of the standout sequences, which is the introduction of Pav, like Spider-Man India. Oh, my gosh. And when they go to his universe and you get to see him and he's this incredible, charming, he's the happy-go-lucky, everything goes right for him. And it is so much fun. The animation is so brilliant. Like, if you want to show someone a 10-minute sequence of what makes Spider-Verse movies works, it's and, that. And it's the feeling of scale, too. Like, oh. it's epic in scale. Uh, you know, we saw it on IMAX, so I think that helps. But you feel like, holy shit, these characters are swinging in front of massive skyscrapers trying to... In front of thousands uh, yeah. of people in traffic. It, it just is incredible. Incredible the scale. The other scene that just took my breath away was, you know, Gwen arrives um, in Miles's universe, unbeknownst to him, on a secret oh. mission, and is like, "Let's see what you got. How how have you leveled up your powers?" And they just go on this run across the city, and it's like, it makes you. It's that feeling again of being a kid and picking up a comic book and being like, "I wish I could do that." Yeah, it, and it, you feel like you're getting to do it, and that also leads to one of the moments that I think is so astounding visually where they end up on the top of a of a tall building yeah the uh, the uh, williamsburg uh, life insurance company. yeah and gwen essentially walks around the side of the building to the underneath and webs herself so she can sit on the bottom of the building upside down but the scope and scale it gives you like wobbly knees when yeah. you're watching it you feel like you're up there with her the way that they use camera angles in this movie to showcase the landscapes the work like Kemp said the thousand plus people who worked on this movie for four years to make it come to life you feel every single second of that work 
on the screen because there are so many different personalities who obviously brought this to life. There's so many different jokes, you know, whoever put Spider-Cat in there. I know that was a very specific person who wanted that joke in, (laughs) but I also know that whoever did a certain shot of, you know, the bodega or the guy who's running the bodega who Miles helps save from uh, the villain of the movie, ostensibly the villain of the movie, the spot, who is uh, just totally wild. And I did not see the way that they took that character I at love, all. Uh, we talk about this with Kemp, how this movie and its predecessor poked fun at its characters in really great ways. It does that with the spot where it's like, this guy's a villain of the week. Yeah, I mean, in the comics... 100%. Literally. Literally, this is a throwaway first three pages of and a comic like book a issue fight guy. Weird, <laughs> like, you know, that is a character where you're just like, who came up with that? Oh, no. And it's like, you know, two of the greatest, like Al Milgram and Herb Trimpey. Like, yeah. but it's this weird, negative space, fun, strange, throwaway character. And that is exactly what the movie knows. Yeah. So Miles treats him that way, and that ends up causing more chaos than you can imagine. I also love that the movie is so in conversation with the audience, not just as comic book readers, but say you've never read a comic, which I don't believe. If you watched the first movie, I assume you probably were inspired to read a comic, but say you didn't. There will be moments you remember. Remember when Miles hit a guy with a bagel and they put a sound effect that just said bagel? Iconic became like a huge meme, became such a memorable moment. That ends up becoming a canon-altering event for Miles and for the spot and for the people involved. There is so much fun to be had with the film reacting to what the audience loved about the first film. It's absolutely delightful. Uh, One more emotional beat that really stuck with me because it just rang so true and it's part of why this movie is just great and it feels so lived in and real is it gave you a depiction of that really, like, landmark life event that I think everybody has, which is the moment that a parent lets you break the rules. Yeah. That is the moment when a parent is like, okay, I see that you really want this thing and I understand who you are, I think, as a person now. And I feel like we've had a connection. Yeah, and you know what? Go ahead. I'm going to show you the trust. I, yeah, go ahead. Like, I know I grounded you, but you're ungrounded. Right or now. I know, I know your dad or your mom said this, but I'm saying this, go do it. And that is like such a huge moment in every yeah. kid's life, and it gives you that moment in this movie, and it just gives you chills. It's it, so good. That ability to balance the family aspects that made this movie so beloved in the first film, and to extrapolate and expand the universe in this completely wild way. I mean, we get an entire Lego sequence that you will learn a very cool fact about from Kemp when you listen, so stay tuned. But, like, that is one of the funniest moments in the movie. It wasn't even in it until after the trailer was out. I'm going to posit this. I know we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who, even if they haven't seen it, they still listen to the spoilers. I'm going to say, don't listen to this next part, but I need to get it out there. I need to get it out there. Extra spoilers, do not listen. This is about the last five minutes of the movie. People who haven't seen the movie in the room, put your fingers, earmuffs your ears. (laughs) But like, I have to say it. So the movie, the movie ends by Miles attempting to get back to his own universe. And I think it's going to be an empire level ending for a lot of kids because he ends up in the wrong universe because of the spider that bit him. He meets an alt universe version of himself who is in that universe, the The Prowler. It is one of the most heart-wrenching, incredible, brilliant choices that 
absolutely gut punched me. They did a great job with the trailers. I didn't see it coming. I have to posit a theory. This is what I mean. I'm here to reassure your kids. I'm here to reassure you. And I'm here to tell you that that is not what you think it's going to be. I think in that universe, Spider-Man was never supposed to exist because Miles would always have been the Prowler. And the Prowler is not a villain. The Prowler is a vigilante that they need. And I think that that is not going to be the villainous expectation. In the comics, the Prowler is more of an anti-hero vigilante who has a brutal twist. And I think in that universe, that is the hero that they need. And that is what Miles was always supposed to be. I believe that it is not the villainous turn people think. And I think that's that's my theory. But I had to put it out there because I know I had to text my sister and I said, warn my nephew that the ending's going to scare him, but I can explain what's going to happen. Because I don't believe it's as clear cut as people will think. I love that take and we're going to have to wait till March to find out if you're right. Uh, up next, uh, stay tuned for Kemp Powers. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we explore a topic in more detail with an expert guest. This episode, we are thrilled to welcome a truly great Across the Spider-Verse expert, co-director Kemp Powers, playwright, writer, and, as we just mentioned, co-director of the unbelievable new Across the Spider-Verse film. Now, warning, this does contain spoilers. I would say they are quite vague, but if you want to stay fully spoiler-free... I would skip this until you've seen the movie. Go see it. Go see it on the biggest screen possible. Ken Powers, welcome to X-Ray Vision. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I'm a uh, little tired, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it my best. <laughs> so the premiere was last night. It was. And then there was the after party. Oh, man. Well, so, I hope y'all really partied. Yeah. Because Across the Spider-Verse is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Uh, I know. Nice. It was absolutely no question. Thank we you. were just, it blew our minds. I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, we... You work in these bubbles for so many years yeah. and you kind of come out of your cave. And I was talking to another one of the, I was talking to the to the writer, like we got, we were getting drunk and it was just like <laughs> at a certain point, you don't even know what's good or bad. Anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just hope that it is, but you just, you're, you're so passionate about it. You know what I mean? So it was such a relief to finally just like see it with an audience and hear people's real time reactions. It, it, it was, it meant a lot. It is incredible. And I mean, and, and so in the, in the most positive way, people were like, not mad when it was over, but like sure. it had propelled everyone to the end with such rapidity. I didn't even know how much time it's passed. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to the break where you realize it's over, it was just like, oh, what? I'm ready to sit here for another couple hours. It's so energetic, so visceral. It shouldn't be as funny and as an emotion as emotional <laughs> as it is, and it's just fantastic. It's wonderful. It it really conveys the visceral feeling of what it must be like to watch people have these powers and to use them in such yeah. a masterful way. It's beautiful. Thanks, beautiful man, movie. Thanks, and I mean, of course, I mean, I know when you have a. I mean, even though we told everyone, you know, this is part <laughs> yeah, two right. or three. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you decide to have a, a cliffhanger, it, it's going to be divisive, and that's okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's okay for some people to love it. It's okay for some people to not be cool about it. But without spoiling the ending, I I was a big believer in that ending because mm-hmm. of the idea of introducing a new problem. Yeah. Yes. So as opposed to like this is all that's happened, and now we're going to go into it's like no at the last minute let's introduce a new problem so that the audience 
doesn't necessarily know how it's all going to be figured mm-hmm. out. It's not as simple as this person is in a jail cell. It's so the next movie we're going to break that person out <laughs> right. of a jail yeah, yeah, cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to complicate. You know, I think it's important to kind of complicate it a little bit. It, audiences are incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. We do what we can to try to stay at least a step ahead yeah. Yeah. If, if we can. And I'm the worst audience member. Like, I can't watch movies with family members because I'm so used to story math that I'll sit there and watch a movie and say everything but that's going to I happen. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And with a lot it of happens. films, I do it you just yeah. so... And it's like, I'm trying to outsmart me. I yeah. will say... <laughs> I will say I did not, I have that very same problem because we watch so many movies, we write stories ourselves. I did not see that big new problem coming. And I actually, I love the cliffhanger and I think it was more of a case, definitely in our screening, of people being left wanting more, which is a good thing. Like nobody felt cheated. It was more, everyone I spoke to was like, I could have watched another two hours. Like I was ready. So I was speaking outside to a, a friend of mine, Eric, who's so great. He also loved the movie, writes over at Nerdist. And he made a great comparison that made me get thinking. He was like, for a generation of kids, this is going to be their empire. Like, not only did you come out and you topped the first movie, but it leaves it on this kind of, not a downer note, but there's a complex problem that needs Mm, to be solved and you've learned something shocking and new. Was that something that you were purposefully going into with this movie, that it was going to be more mature, that it was going to end and leave kids? Yeah, we knew knew it was going to be darker and and that's okay. Yeah. You know, kids can... Kids have grown up with this character. Empire was the first Star Wars film I saw in a movie theater Mm -hmm. because the the first Star Wars, I I, I was too young. um, And so Empire was the first time I saw a Star Wars film and like, Newsflash, Luke got his fucking arm cut off. Yeah, like, I was exactly. just like, oh, was, shit. Oh, my God. You know, God. I'm a little kid like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm talking in the very beginning when his tauntaun gets killed. Yeah. And they hang him upside down and Han cuts the thing open and pulls the guts out. Yeah. He's like, like hiding I inside. Was like, this is, I'm horrified and this is the most awesome thing mm-hmm. ever. But there were real stakes. Yeah. Um, and it, the interesting thing is our film is so much darker to a lot of people but the first film, like a lot of people got killed. I mean, mm-hmm. Spider-Man dies. It's yeah. just, spoiler, spoiler. Just spoiler. Like, Spider-Man dies in the first 10 minutes the, of the, the film. But the darkness yeah. comes from, I think, real stakes and yeah. real mm-hmm. menace. I, I, I really think that that's, and that's a, that's a difficult thing, I think, to accomplish these days, a, a real sense of stakes. Yeah. I mean, the wonderful thing, the, the very comics that inspire us to to do this one of the problems with comics is that there's no stakes anymore. nobody ever dies you know yeah. they, uh, apart you, from uncle ben uncle ben, yeah, 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 exactly. uncle ben. the canon yeah. so, so you find out a character and you know it's news now like the death of superman yeah. i was one of those people who best-selling comic of all in the time bag. You, yeah. got it in the bag. you got it in the bag yeah. i got so many different Called the newsstand edition the direct market covers, edition and three months later guess who's back so yeah. you know we were inspired by comics but this is cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a different goal. We, 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 we're comic fans ourselves. We want comic fans to, to be excited and love it. But we also, we're filmmakers, man. We, we, we want to try to tell a cinematic story that feels emotional, that feels personal and human and, and has real stakes. And, and we feel as it, it can only be told um, th- through cinema. So, yeah, we always knew it was going to be more mature. I mean, one of the first decisions that was made was aging Miles up, mm-hmm. you know, making him less of an adolescent, more of a young adult, making Miles competent. You know, he he ends the first film just barely getting his sea legs. And we were all excited by the idea of seeing Miles as the Spider-Man who is responsible for protecting his city mm-hmm. and doing it really well. But then with that maturity, you know, comes more mature problems. And yeah. I think it's I think it's natural. Plus, you know, kids grew up the same kids who saw the first into the yeah. Spider-Verse oh. 
are five years it older. It makes me yeah. so excited <laughs> to imagine so, if yeah. you were 10 when you saw that first movie and you're, you're 15, 15 now. That yeah. just, I imagine that is just one of the most special experiences. I would hope so. I would really hope so. I mean, you, of, of course, we, we do these films for everyone, but the reality is different people are going to take it different ways. And I've had a bit of experience doing this. Soul was a film that mm -hmm. a lot of people were like, did you forget kids are out there? And it's like, <laughs> no. Because they were like, okay, let's see. All the things kids aren't interested in. 45-year-old man, jazz. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they just like ran down the list of things that like kids don't, this don't give a shit yeah. about. <laughs> and we went and made a movie about it. And guess what? Kids got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. kids enjoyed it, enjoyed it. And thanks to COVID, they had nothing else to watch on Christmas that year. <laughs> yeah. So they all watched it and, and, and took it and actually came away with something. So I, I think people, when we say it's for everyone, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to receive it exactly the mm -hmm. same way. And that's okay. I have friends with little four-year-olds who would probably be bouncing out of their seats through the first half of this film, and that's okay too. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I think people have an idea of what directing a film is like. But what is directing an animated film like? It's com it's complex. Uh, I mean, the the main thing about animation is that it's an iterative process because of the use of storyboards mm -hmm. and scratch. We're able to make version after version after mm -hmm. version of the film before we actually animate the thing. So when you're seeing an animated film like Soul or like Across the Spider-Verse, you're seeing like the 30th or 40th version yeah. of the film. And that iterative process is what makes it take so long. But with animation, you have to kind of, it doesn't necessarily, you have a script, but you don't necessarily know how it works until you start building it. Oh. There are certain things that are similar and certain things that are very different from live action. One of the biggest differences working with the voiceover performers is that people are almost never in the same room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have an actor and they come in and they get a script and there's no one there. And in many cases, there's no one there the entire process. Oh, wow. Wow. In many cases, they don't even know who the other actor is playing the part. Wow. So it was always funny when... Um, you realize that cast members, as we got closer to opening, didn't know who else was in the movie. <laughs> with characters that they had major scenes with. Yeah. Because they never knew. It was just me in the booth and Phil, or Phil Lord, and me and Phil, and me and Chris, and we're in the booth and we're working with these actors. And so, you know, you have to act against nothing. Or mm. act against, you know, sometimes I'll be their scene partner, but yeah. I'm not an actor, so I give them the terrible version of the line. <laughs> and, and they just work that way. So that's a, that's a pretty tremendous difference. Um, obviously, our sets are all in a computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like rough layout or layout is like basically the equivalent of building your set with, with animation because you have the 2D storyboards um, and the board artists really help us get the story solid. But then when it comes time to build it in 3D, we go into building the set and you quickly discover the stuff that's been storyboarded doesn't necessarily work in 3D. I see. And that's when you, because when it's in 3D, when it's in layout, that's when you start setting your cameras. Yeah. You know, and and we'll often do something like we'll be in the edit suite and you'll have like a picture in picture. Mm. So we'll have the um, the layout version with the, the 2D storyboard version like up in the corner. And so, and I don't want to get like technical <laughs> and bore you to death, but there are certain where we're trying to do what you do in live action, but a lot of it is done in a computer. A lot of it is done separately and then you piece the elements together. Mm. And it takes a long, a much longer time yeah. than making a live action wow. film. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things that kind of blew everyone away about the original Into the Spider-Verse, it really changed the game and the way people treated and approached animated movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, every other studio is still doing movies that are coming out 
the beginning of this year that everyone's saying, oh, they're trying to do Into the Spider-Verse or they were impacted by Into the Spider-Verse. With Across the Spider-Verse, you kind of blow that up and bring in all these different animation styles and go even kind of more ambitious and out of the box. And it like blew us away. How does that then come in? Because you're not just trying to make an animated movie, you're making an animated movie in a way that no one else has really done, where you have multiple different universes that all look aesthetically different, right, but still right. have to fit into the space and tell a human story. Well, I mean, I give a lot of credit to, I mean, Justin, my co-directors, uh, Joaquim Dos Santos and Justin Thompson. Justin Thompson was actually the production designer on yeah. the first Into the Spider-Verse. And it's just, Justin being the type of guy he is, he just doesn't want to do the same stuff again. Yeah, <laughs> I love you that. You know, it's yeah. just not wanting to like, well, that was cool. Yeah. And now let's try something different. Wouldn't it be cool to do this? Can we do that? Can we mm-hmm. pull it off? The folks at Sony Pictures Image Works, like, you know, we do a lot of viz dev. It's just we want to we, we just we just want to try cool mm. new stuff. And and I wouldn't even say I think it's exciting when people see something done a little bit differently and it opens them up to other possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because obviously when Pixar did Toy Story, of course. I mean, look at that transformational change. And it to me, it got a little maybe too extreme because all of a sudden it was like no one can do 2D animation mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. And quietly during that period, some amazing Persepolis was one yeah. of the best animated films Absolutely. I saw. I lost the Oscar, I think, to a Pixar film. But also based on a comic. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So like it's not like it ever died. It's not yeah. like they're having But the studio been, money kind of moved yeah, away from it. And that's just it. It's just opening people up to using different kinds of animation again, but none of it's really gone anywhere because, mm-hmm. you know, there's different practitioners. It was funny, when I was at Pixar, um, one of my favorite Pixar shorts came up there. It was called Kitbull. Um, and it was um, it was just, it was unusual in that it was 2D animated. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the director of that particular um, short decided that even though she could have done it 3D, she did it 2D. And, and I think that that's what we really want. We just want people to figure out the best expression of it, whether Wes Anderson, he's done two pretty phenomenal stop motion mm-hmm. animated yeah. films, yeah. you know, that over yeah. the past. So, so that's all it is, is, is that, you know, we want to, we, we just, I, I hope it just opens people up to understanding that there's different ways you can do animation, but I already think that's happening. I mean, yeah. Pinocchio last year. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought the Lego movie was another. Lego movie's magnificent. One that yeah. did, when Phil and Chris did that, I was so excited, you know, that we got got to get a little Lego sequence. Um, <laughs> oh, that was so, so much fun. The, which wasn't in the film. I don't know if you guys oh, know. Oh, no, we didn't oh, know that. That's so Tell funny. us. One of the, okay. When we released our first teaser trailer for this film. Um, someone recreated the entire trailer in oh. Lego. Yeah, we watched oh, of it. Course. I watched it. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I believe a 14-year-old kid. Yeah, we hired him. He did the Lego <laughs> sequence in our movie. No way. Yeah. That's like the that coolest thing I've ever heard. Kid, actually, we went and tracked him down because we were like, we should add a Lego sequence to this film yeah. and have this guy do it. And we found out that <laughs> Preston was 14 wow. in Canada. And wow. we had to work it all out. But yeah, we added that Lego sequence so and good. Preston, the same kid who did those um the our teaser, he um he, he actually animated that. That it's is amazing. So good. His his <laughs> teaser trailer is yeah, lighting, it's so everything. Cool. It's ridiculous. The camera moves, it's stupid. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it, you know, we gave him notes and stuff yeah. like that. Wow. And, and honestly, I thought that was like one of my favorite I mean yeah. it was just so funny to us, this idea that like Lego Peter Parker 
it, you might not notice it, but the first the beep boop yeah, and yeah. it yeah. pops up, and the fact that Miguel says you're, you're one, one of our, our best, best. Yeah, he's yeah, the yeah, only yeah, one. He's actually the only Spider Person in the movie. Miguel compliments as being competent is the Lego. In our in our screening, that got such a huge laugh. Everyone was just, and of course, immediately everyone's like the Lego Movie, which again, like you say, that just totally changed the way people were perceiving what could be done with animation. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me watching um, Into this morning, after watching Across last night, is. above and beyond what we've talked about with the animation is how experimental the backgrounds are. You know, like it, it could have, uh, Into is very clean. You know, when you see uh, Miles or Gwen in, in a uh, interior setting in the apartment somewhere, you, know, you can really make out the background. It looks, you know, like a, like a comic book page. Right. Um, but you're doing so many things with the backgrounds in this movie. I'm thinking of the, uh, of the scene with Gwen Gwen's her, world where it's yeah. all watercolor. And her, yeah. It's all watercolor and moving around. What what inspired that? Well, I mean, there's different challenges because think the first one, you have these different animation styles, but they all come to one set mm-hmm. universe, yeah. and that's Miles' universe. So that's all you have to really keep into consideration. With this one, you have not just the characters from those universes, yeah. but other Their characters universes. coming to different universes, and we have to think through does a character look exactly the same in every universe? Because mm-hmm. there's actually subtle differences in how Miles looks in his universe versus Pavitra's. Yeah. Um, wow. and, and Gwen's is a great, I mean, hers was inspired by the comic books, which um, the Gwen, the Spider-Gwen comic books, which have this amazing gouache um, watercolor look. Mm-hmm. And we just took it to a different level in terms of like, you know, what if her whole world is basically like a mood ring? Mm-hmm. So, so like the the inspiration is almost like uh, when you're in a st- when you're watching a stage play, and like a character like needs a chair, and a chair like appears and they <laughs> yeah. sit down. So Gwen's entire world is kind of a reflection of her her mood, and I think you see it, you know, you see it one way in the beginning of the film, but then I think you see it even more extremely when she reconnects with her dad at the end, and when it goes from hostile to loving mm-hmm. the, the changes in it. So it was always meant to be this watercolor mood ring and look like a, a painting. And yeah. it was wow. one, it was one of the most challenging things to execute, but that's what that's what VizDev, that's what visual development is for. You know, you spend a year just like experimenting with how we're going to make this look and how we're going to make it work and and you know, knock wood, you you hope that when it's all said and done people are, are positive about it. And then, I mean, the even bigger decision is to open the film with that. Yeah. Because it's such a visual departure from the first film. So to have the first, you know, 20 minutes of the movie be in this world that's like visually people aren't accustomed to, I, I think was a, it was something we talked about a lot, you know, because we knew it was like, well, are people going to get with this or not? But it's like, you know what, considering the journey we're going to take people on, mm-hmm. better to throw them in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. You know what I mean? And get them used to something a little bit different and, and try to get them to get with this, then spring that on them a little bit later. And I, I think that opening action, like the opening sequence is so stunning because immediately you realize this is a different a game. Like you said, I mean, there's moments, little things logically that I feel a lot of animated movies wouldn't do, like when Gwen's hair changes color mm-hmm. because of the color. There's a lot of people who'd say, oh, well, why would her hair change color? Like what, how does that? But the atmosphere is so there. And then you get that unbelievable fight sequence that's mm-hmm. like just mind blowing. But one of the other things that I just really, that I guess you guys have to balance that we haven't really seen done before, you get to play not only in these different animated universes, we get to see all these different cool worlds, but you get to bring in 
the and we will put a big spoiler warning on this and it will come out after the okay. film is out but like you get to bring in these live action elements too right, right. what is it like to then balance that because we I mean what is it Roger Rabbit the last time we really got to see like <laughs> yeah, animation right. and, yeah. and live action together so what was it like to get to not only just tease those moments and do throwbacks but to even bring a live action character into the animated world it's interesting because one of the you don't want to overdo it Mm -hmm. Right. That's one of the key things is that like, you know, we had a lot of different ideas for for live action things and, you know, we would storyboard them. The storyboards of the live action stuff was great because we did it South Park style where it'd be like a cutout <laughs> with like the flappy mouth. And it's like, oh, boy, I'm Donald yeah. Webber. You know, like, it was just really it was hilarious seeing all these floppy mouth you yeah. know, versions. But but then we just realized it was diminishing returns. Mm. So it, it was uh, again. This is I can talk about the film. This is coming yeah, out. Yeah, right? yeah, it, will, a, it will come okay. out on Friday. Okay, and we will put a spoiler Massive warning. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like you know, when we decide to have a, a live action character in there, I mean, it creates its. Believe it or not, it creates its own challenges because we have to like mm. build a costume for the character mm -hmm. and then like figure out a way to make it not look terrible mm -hmm. existing in the animated world. Right. Um, and, but it's also like, you just want to have the, the best impact, I guess. And also make it something surprising. Yeah. You know, there's the thing that people expect and it's like, well, if everyone expects it, do we really want to do, mm -hmm. you know, this person or that person or this character? And it's like, we, we, you know, we can't help but get a little bit meta sometimes. So, you know, we were just, um, you know, thinking about like, well, what's a character from the live action that, you know, people wouldn't expect to, mm -hmm. to see? And, you know, just a, uh, again, it, it's it's Lord Miller, man. Like it, it's we, we want to make each other laugh. And yeah. and, and, and honestly, you, we, we do. It, it's very useful for us to do things like do audience testing and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And we see the reaction the audience has to it. But that's just proving out what we were already excited by. Yeah. So yeah, we're yeah. kind of like trying these versions out. And it's like when we're all really tickled and amused, um, that's kind of where we decide to to go with it. But the technical things, believe it or not, the live action is far from the most difficult <laughs> thing <laughs> technically work. It's yeah. just basically like, okay, let's just make sure it doesn't look stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for the most part, like, yeah, yeah, you just want to surprise people if we, if we can. X-Ray Vision will be back. And we're back. There's some wonderful parallels uh, from uh, across the Spider-Verse and into the Spider-Verse. Uh, the one that jumps to mind is uh, when Miles first encounters Peter, alternate universe Peter, in Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, he has him tied to a punching bag mm -hmm. much in the same way. Yes. Almost the exact same, same setup as as Miles finds himself in at the end of the movie. There's different, you know, there's the... the uh, Oh, that's a Banksy guy. I think that's a Banksy. I think that's a Banksy. How purposeful, how early in the process, I guess I should say, did those ideas come up? Like, oh, we know that Miles is going to be tied up. What if he was tied up the same way as Peter was tied up? In terms of the specificity, I think it's much later in the process. Mm. You know, those are, you know, you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to build a scene or build a film around a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? That the right. story, the, the story has to work in its simplest least funny version right you know so I, I mean the scene with miles on the bag that was always the scene in terms of the specificity of like shooting it in a way that it literally mirrors it that yeah. that came to mm. when we got to the point where we were getting detailed about yeah. it and it was like oh let's see you know and that's not the only thing it's like you know a certain character 
turning up the the sound yeah. Yeah, matches yeah, yeah. like perfectly with yeah. the, and and we and we we got to that specificity a little bit later but in its earlier version the scene the dialogue wasn't even all locked in and we were just kind of experimenting with it but um but we were always thinking about like i mean that was one of my you know it was one of my favorite little parts in the in the first film when you know he's Peter's tied to the bag and he like yeah. guesses immediately exactly where he's <laughs> yeah. you know like it, it, it was such a great scene. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were thinking about it, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just like, um, like the, like the little Banksy joke. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I think we just added it mm-hmm. maybe just a couple of weeks before we finished. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Cause at first it was just like, everyone was like, Whoa. And it was just like, let's just put that there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then why not? Like, why not? We live in this age where there is like a lot of comic book adaptations, but I think the first movie, and especially I think in this movie is, you know, amped up to 11. This feels like it is adapting a comic book. It's not mm-hmm. just about adapting Miles, who came from a comic book. You know, Bendis and Pacelli, like, created this character. This, we have Hobie here, the Spider-Punk. Mm-hmm. His Wonderful. Visual stealing Spider-Punk. Yeah. Scene stealing Spider-Punk, my favorite. No surprises to anyone, but, like... <laughs> The way you bring him to life, he's a zine, basically. You see yeah. these collages. This, yeah. So that's one style of comic books. You get these moments where you see actual comic books and you have people like Samford Green, you know, Rick yeah. Leonardi, these icons come and draw it. Could you talk a little bit about bringing the comics to life? Because that is not something we get so much. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was actually inviting in the artists. Yes. Folks mm. like, you know, Rick Leonardi, Brian Stelfreeze. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the look of Jess Drew's character we we brought in Brian Stelfreeze, amazing. not just his comic work, but he does this amazing pinup work. Yeah, and it was a lot of the pinup work that really inspired the look of um, Jess Drew, um, and of course Samford. I mean, you wouldn't even realize it, but a lot of the marketing materials, the poses you see mm. of Miles all over the place, those were Samford's poses. Wow. wow. So Samford was brought in really, really early to do lots of Miles posing. You know, it's it's amazing how how long he, and and it's just. You know, comics. I don't. I don't want to get like overly philosophical here, but you know, it's kind of sad when you think about the history yeah. of comic books and how these creators, you know, created these amazing things that are now so valuable and just got cut out of everything. Mm-hmm. We talk you know, about both it a monetarily lot. Yeah. and also creatively, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's and it's inspired at least, and sometimes it's just like straight up ripping, you know, off. The work, and I mean, people legally have a right to do it, but I don't know. I, I just, it just felt better. It felt right to kind of invite this community as much as we could that inspired it, you know, into into the process. I mean, my favorite comic book artists. I mean, my I have I have a big three. Favorite. <laughs> okay, who are um, they? It's um, Art Adams, of course, um, the icon. You know, Frank Frank Miller, because my first comic book that I loved was Frank Miller's Wolverine, um, and Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah, yeah. So we hire Bill Sienkiewicz, who who actually did what I think is like one of the most amazing posters um, that I think they're going to be giving out at one of the theaters. So just to be able to engage some of the like artistic people who made me mm-hmm. love comic books yeah. like Bill Sienkiewicz's run on New Mutants of course yeah, yeah. you know like changed my Im- yeah. impression of like what a comic book could be and and I mean that's what this film is really trying to do it's 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 like you know you're seeing all these different styles and say like oh animation could be that because like that's what that's what comics mm-hmm. are about is that there's all these amazing you know Alex Ross there's just yeah. all these different styles painterly 
abstract, you know, like yeah. I, I thought, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, his his crazy character who runs like a comic book art gallery mm-hmm. gets a little bit crazy about it. But like it is, it is <laughs> yeah. art. I no, mean, it, it is. is really. <laughs> it's that's amazing because like so when there's the five act structure with the comic books, right? Mm-hmm. And when they were coming up at first, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, that's a Sanford Green like nod. It's an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. That's a Leonardo nod. I have this is a Leonardo piece on my mm-hmm. arm. Mm-hmm. Like, but actually then at the end, really early credits, you get comic book yeah, artists. Yeah, they worked on and it. And they worked on it. <laughs> also, Neela Magruder, who was a co-creator yeah. of Spider Bite. Yes, so exactly. I'm so, I love to hear that that was your mentality because that's how it felt. Like, it was the movie moved me in many ways. But as someone who cares about this stuff, we talk about it all the time. We dream of comics getting a union. That was the thing that moved me the most was to see these people, Chris Anka, yes. who made these and characters. Staff. I mean, he Chris is, he's is there. Like yeah. everything. I mean... All of these, you know, Metro Boomin's been posting yeah. all these Metro Metro <laughs> yeah. Sonas. Those yeah. are all Chris. Oh wow! Chris has done all that stuff. All the all the Metro Sonas have all been Chris Anka, and and a lot of our key character designs for the film, you know, have have started, you know, with with Chris Anka's pencil, and and it's, I mean, I, I can't really imagine us having been able to accomplish it without mm. without any of them. I really wow. can't. That grounding. And reverence for the comics allows you to do some really great uh, uh, humorous moments where you poke fun at certain uh, characters. I'm thinking specifically of uh, Scarlet Spider Ben oh, Riley. Yeah. That was so good. It, he's, a himbo, right? <laughs> he's a himbo. He's an emo himbo. Yeah. It's so good because uh, if you are not aware of the 90s material. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's accessible. You're laughing. Mm-hmm. And if you are aware of it... If you read Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man... It's hysterical. Yeah. Like, and his design was like... Oof. I mean, I, we were literally saying, like, okay, how many pouches can we get on this guy? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? His musculature. And, and I think the casual fan doesn't even notice because his poses are extreme. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah, even yeah. in the poster... When he's, he's on the roof yes, as well. And he goes, perfect pose. Like, <laughs> his legs are doing things that legs can't really do and he's casually doing it and we just would laugh so hard but then when we saw it rendered the first time in his style Oof. in Miles's world it was honestly it was one of the first things that kind of took my breath away mm-hmm. we had a 3D model and it turned and moved yeah. because I just thought it, I was like oh I thought I was just looking at an, a picture from an image you know mm-hmm. comic from the from the heyday but um but yeah that that design man I, I was just like yeah that's that is like the heyday, the 90s, mm-hmm. the muscles on top of muscles, <laughs> yeah. pouches, the torn, torn yes. things. He's always like hair. crying. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, you obviously love comics. Was there for you, like coming into this project and getting this idea of how many spider people you, was there someone you really wanted to see? Like, was there a spider character or a artist or, you know, was there something that you were like, I want to bring this into the world, even if it's just for me? There wasn't any one. There were just, uh, I mean, honestly, the ones that I most wanted to see were the ones we put in the film. Yeah. You know, I was you really, got it. I was really excited about punk. I was really excited about Pav. Pav because we did a pretty extreme redesign of like uh, his character so looks nothing good. like the. We were talking comics. about yeah. that. Yeah, I was then. actually yeah. um, my brilliant friend Nick Shukla is the writer of the new Spider-Man in mm-hmm. the comic, and I was just saying I just want to see Pav on the pages now because the yeah. design you guys did is so cool. Yeah, I was really gassed about, and it, and you know there was it took a lot of you know we brought in a consultant to talk about like certain things. Um, you know, like the Nehru collar mm-hmm. on his, and, and, and what, uh, you know, he should. And then the hairstyles was also oh, I love that. A, a tremendous thing. And then our first design from him, um, he was younger. Mm. Um, and, and, and rightfully so, someone brought up like issues of like, 
why don't make the Indian guy like a Mowgli stereotype? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what? Let's age this kid up. And he and gets make to be the happy-go-lucky. Yeah, but he's good at his and job. He's, tough. he's good at what he does. Um, it was it was one of the most challenging parts of the film to do, which I think made it all the more satisfying. But from the redesign of Pav to executing his character and his story, which involved, I mean, Oof. true story, the, an early version of it, we thought it was getting pretty good. And then we got um, an email from a lot of our animators in India who were just like, this is not good. Mm. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not as good a character. Like, we're, we're from different parts of India. And like, one thing we agree on is like, this, this could be better. So, um, and again, this is, this is the nature of collaboration. Yeah. We very quickly um, assembled an all like Indian writers room. Awesome. And we invited not just Indian American, India, like Hassan Minaj was in the room. Like we, we brought in a lot of people and showed them the scene and then just got notes and taught, and they, and they were just talking about their lives, talking about their mm. culture, and then rewrote the whole thing. Wow. And Pav went, he was very different. He was much younger. He, he was, he was kind of like, almost like naive. Mm. And, and we just transformed the character into something that the folks in that room could recognize. So I don't know, just of the characters, I didn't know much about Spider-Man India in the comic books. I just literally saw a design and I read a little bit about it and I was like, oh, he gets power he from a shaman. He doesn't have a lot of canon, so yeah. it's really cool yeah, to yeah, see him expanded here. Yeah, he gets his uncle's Uncle Beam. Like it's like, yeah, there's yeah, always going to yeah. be the Peter yeah. Parker, yeah. you know, parallels. But, but it was like, okay, I think this is an interesting idea, but we got to like really... Let's try to just do our version of it because mm-hmm. that's the other thing is we don't want to be beholden to any source material, which if you've seen our movie, you should know that's a pretty yeah. strong <laughs> worldview we have is that, yeah. you know, canon can also be like turned into a noose mm-hmm. um, and it can it can take all the joy. It can take all the excitement out of anything when, you know, you set these incredibly rigid rules. And yeah. so, of course, we weren't going to adhere to that in, in making this film or any other characters. But I think Punk and Pav are the greatest examples of yeah. that because they look nothing like their, their mm-hmm. source material we just but that's yeah. going to become the defining version for people who watch these movies you oh know? man the punk toys oh, I mean, it looks incredible when they gave me swag and like you know, <laughs> my son came i was like he's oh you got some stuff in there and he's like where's punk yeah, you know what exactly. i mean because I'm the saying. punk action figure has like a guitar and you know and then my daughter came by and she was like oh you want a pen she was like where's punk like they <laughs> went right for the spider punk stuff yeah. Uh, tell us about the inclusion of punk, because as we were saying before, uh, Cody Ziegler, great friend of the pod, was mm-hmm. the, uh, the writer of the ongoing Spider-Punk series over at Marvel Comics. And I remember talking with him before he had seen the movie and uh, several weeks back. And he was like, I don't know. They tell me the art style is like incredible, but I haven't seen it yet. And it truly is startling and great. Tell us yeah. about the inclusion of Spider-Punk. Yeah, I mean, I think his design is like the coolest thing in, in, in the film. I agree. And, yeah. and there was an earlier version of it where, you know, we almost cut Punk out of the film. But wonderfully, as we were working on the story, he became integral to the plot. And then I think that's that's really what's key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It starts with like, well, this is kind of a cool character. This idea of, you know, Miles starting to have feelings for Gwen and being uncertain about this other boy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Punk immediately like filled in that slot because yeah. it's like Miles is so cool we watch the first Into the Spider-Verse and Miles is cool. Yeah. So it's like we need a character that would make Miles immediately look uncool. <laughs> make one of the cool, you know, it's like yeah. Miles who's wearing his Nikes and his hoodie. We need to make that character look like a dork. Yeah. And the character that makes that character look like a dork is Spider-Punk. It's- you know, he's, he's 19, 20. He's 
six foot three inches tall, yeah. rail thin, mm-hmm. you know, and we always we always use the term like when we first brought in Daniel and we were talking about the character and it was like the way we describe him is it's not just that he's cool, he's effortlessly cool. Yeah. Which yeah, makes yeah. him annoying. Yeah. You know, he's effort and for there was an early version of the script where everyone kept saying that, like it's so effortless. Yeah. It's so effortless. Like it's so effortless. And Miles was just like, if one more person says effortless, <laughs> I'm gonna scream. But it's the fact that he's effortlessly cool. Yeah. So you know, he we always knew he was gonna be in there, but then we had to make sure it worked for the overarching narrative. But it started with you know the 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 boy who makes Miles jealous. But then when we really dug into it, it just became a character that became integral to the plot mm-hmm. of the entire film. And, you know, again, without spoiling it, there are certain key like the film can't exist without Spider-Man mm-hmm. yeah. any, anymore. Yeah. yeah. And and and, you know, we, we knew there was going to be a lot of people who were just like, oh, man, where's where's Noir and where's Penny? And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, again, spoiler, you're going to. But it's like yeah. you, you got to take some time. Mm-hmm. To develop, you can't just throw one-dimensional characters on top of people. And you you really have to take the time to give these characters a story, give them a motivation to make people care about them in order yeah. for this all to work in the, in the bigger story that you're trying to tell. It was so great to hear people cheer at the end when it's like, okay, now you're seeing some characters, you know, that you are familiar with. But you love these new ones too, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah, seeing them together. And now you're yeah. kind of thinking, wow, what's it going to be like? you know, noir interacting with punk. Mm-hmm. How I, fun is that that's gonna, gonna be? be so good. Yeah, and you get, that's one of my favorite <laughs> lines in the movie that I think sums up the effortlessly cool thing is when he takes his uh, mask off and Miles is like, how are you, how st- are you cool how are you with cool? that? Yeah. Mask? How are you cool? Like, how, yeah. that's not fair. So you talk kind of about this, we touched on the idea of this, the noose of canon and, and Spider-Punk is kind of this great rebel against the canon rules. That is such a fun meta story arc and obviously as creators it comes from a place of you guys knowing that yeah. as readers and people who love canon but also have had to sit through Uncle Ben dying 50,000 times in yeah. 50,000 universe could you talk about that because when that happened it sort of exploded the movie onto a different meta level yeah, for me yeah yeah it's a big turn for the film and 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 again like this is look we can't talk about Miles Morales the character in, in the world without talking about the negative pushback that to mm-hmm. this day you still mm-hmm. get for the character about whether he's a legit Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it's it's heartbreaking that these are conversations that have to be had. But, you know, it was really, you know, when, when Miguel says a line like, you're not supposed to be Spider-Man, of yeah. course that has multiple mm-hmm. meanings to right. us. You know, and in that moment, he represents every person in the world who questions the existence of this very mm-hmm. character in, in the film. And, and him, if, if Miles is going to push back and do something, you know, different. Like we, we, we're, 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 we're having a conversation with our audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not trying to lecture anyone, Yeah, but we want to have a conversation and just like, we, we feel like miles in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, so that those, and, and hopefully if we're successful, someone who doesn't know about any of that can just understand it and appreciate it and be moved on the very simplest level. But if you are privy to the world in which these characters are being discussed, you can also get that that double meaning. Mm-hmm. It really amps up the movie. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Because it's in that moment where you understand that Miles has to do what he has to do. Yes. Despite the fact that everybody is telling him not to, yes. he can't do yes. that. He has to go the he, other way. He is our hero. Yeah. And what he's doing is ostensibly very selfish. Yeah. 
but we have to be on his side. Yeah, you have and to, it's we also, have to be on his side. Yeah. It's also a choice that is incredibly relatable, not just to the audience, but to every single spider person in the elite spider force. Yeah. They yeah. would have done the same thing. Yes. They can yeah. pretend that Miguel has. Yeah. yeah. You know? So in that way, it's a very interesting choice. And I think the coolest thing is, I think a lot of people will probably learn the term canon from this movie and learn it and understand it in that context and then get to understand and learn retroactively how it impacts comics yeah. and yeah. the way that we read them. Canon is something that is always, and, and again, I had a lot of experience with it. Um, my first TV job was on Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like... Law <laughs> canon. All, all, all canon. <laughs> Here's all, the textbooks. Yeah, you know, and, and I've worked on other on shows. <laughs> I've worked on other projects behind the scene that mm-hmm. are all a lot of, of big canon things. And it's it becomes so rigid and yeah. so mm-hmm. frustrating. And, and like we were having a conversation earlier, and, I, and it was just like so many of the things you feel like you can't live without and you love the most right now, mm-hmm. when it first came out, you were suspicious of it and you thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? It's not like people saw these things that are iconic coming, whether it's films or performances. I mean, pretty much everything when it comes to comic book films, everyone wanted to revolt when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman. Exactly. Yeah. They wanted Heath to Ledger revolt as Joker. Heath Ledger as yeah. Joker. People thought... Why do we need another Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse? <laughs> All of this stuff has been greeted with hostility. Yeah. Until it, for all the Star Wars, I mean, the year that Star Wars, um, The Phantom Menace came out, there was this other little movie called The Matrix that was kind of silly and goofy <laughs> yeah. that turned into another thing that yeah. people were psychotic and rigid and, and then immediately rigid about. So here's all the rules that have been established. In Newsflash, most of the people creating this stuff <laughs> are kind of making it up as we go along. (laughs) The stuff that becomes canon and law is we're just kind of like, whatever, man. Like, I'm I'm going home right now. Or I'm drunk. Like, I don't know. Did I say that really? He only wears wears red shoes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We we, we don't know. This this Spider-Man was bitten uh, by a pig, and now he's Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, there's a real, that's really real, because it's it's just a bunch of people, and we're throwing it, and we kind of go back and go, Oh man, but that doesn't make sense. That's well, too late now. Well, <laughs> someone we'll, else in the future yeah, can make yeah, it make someone sense. Someone else's problem. Yeah, and 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 so it's like be careful about don't don't take the fun out of it. Don't don't turn it into something where it's the very thing that made us get into comics is that we couldn't get into the elite clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't invited into all these spaces. I was a nerd growing up, so. That the the reaction to that is to then become like elitist and exclusive about about something that makes no sense to me, man. Yeah, that yeah. Makes no Especially sense to when me. comics is not just accessible because they've always been able to be bought for a couple of dollars or twenty five cents, depending on how far back. But anyone can make one because all you yeah. need is paper and pencil. Yeah. So in that way, it's like almost impossible to gatekeep. Yeah. Yet people still do. They, it's they the comics are for everyone. Yeah. You know, comics are for everyone, just like this movie's for everyone. And it, people hate that. Yeah. It terrifies them. Yeah, they want to feel like, you know, I'm the only one in the world who can enjoy this. And, right. And it's like, no, man, you got to gotta be open to, to doing things a little a little bit differently. Uh, I must ask Kemp, as the one of the co-writers of Soul, mm-hmm. uh, you put the Knicks joke in Soul. <laughs> I sure as <laughs> shit did. I knew you were going to bring it up. <laughs> I, uh, I sure as hell did. It, it was like a gut punch when I saw the scene. And it's so incredibly accurate. Tell us about 
putting that in the movie. Yeah, well, context is everything, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm a lifelong Knicks fan. <laughs> and the last time the Knicks won a title was the year I was born. So I haven't been alive <laughs> for a championship Knicks team. So, and I'm loyal. Hey. I mean, I was sitting in the front row of Knicks Heat. Like, I literally flew to New York just to watch Knicks Heat. And I, and I, and I hold to, you know, I have, I have Clipper season tickets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm here. But I'm a Knicks diehard. <laughs> And I don't know. It was just, it felt like the perfect joke. This idea of like, you know what? What if my team's futility has been because of a cosmic prankster who's just been like picking on them? But I will say, after Soul came out, it, it felt like the Knicks started the getting upswing. better. And, and if we can talk basketball for just yeah, a minute. Please, please. this This year's playoffs, man, like everyone's hey. talking about who can they trade for. I think this team they have, as is, if you just stay with them, you know, everyone wants to get rid of Randall. I, I actually love this Knicks squad, man. I, hey. I really love this Knicks squad. All, all I know is we got two off a team that's going to the finals. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I know. <laughs> I really when love... When you said that, he's like, they beat Jimmy Butler, who is currently yeah. unbeatable. The, so. the, the problem with the Knicks is because New York is such a huge market, yeah, yeah. even when you have a good team, you feel like, okay, it's New York. We got to get a bigger star. Yeah. Mm. You know? And they, they never build through the draft. They always try to like, never. you get They've some talent and then you're like, now let's get rid of this talent and get a star who's going to sell tickets. But nothing will sell tickets more than just being good. And the Knicks <laughs> were good for years. The Ewing years were actually awesome. That was like 12 awesome years of years. playoffs. You know, yeah. even the Allen Houston fighting, getting into fist fights with Miami years yeah. with Latrell Sprewell and Allen Houston. Those are pretty good years <laughs> too, you know? <laughs> So anyway, I can I can go down a rabbit hole. No, but no, anyone no, who questions it. my New York Knicks bon- no, bona fides no, I, I, can eat it because it, I earned that joke. <laughs> I'll stand by that jerk, that joke and soul till my dying days. And I think it's a good joke. It's I, a great I, joke. I said, it's great. You know, people Knicks fans laugh their asses off. And, and Lakers fans laugh even harder, yeah. of course. So but whatever. <laughs> but I, I love that joke. Uh, Cam Powers, thank you so much for doing oh, it. Yeah, pleasure, thank man. you so much. That it was, was total joy. Great to meet you Come both. Come back anytime. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kemp. Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory you're excited to share, Amy pitches us on the YA series The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. My name is Amy. And my nerd out is The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. It's a young adult book series that can be described as fairy tales in space. um, And it feels like a cross between Sailor Moon and Firefly. It has great characters, tight plotting, and is a space opera that is clearly having so much fun being a space opera. In the opening, Cinder is a mechanic in New Beijing, an earthen city centuries in the future. She's also a cyborg with mechanical hand and leg and a brain interface that lets her download data directly into her head. Across the series, we meet Little Red Riding Hood, who is a farmer and expert pilot, Rapunzel, who is a hacker trapped in a satellite, and Snow White, a princess who is letting herself lose touch with reality rather than compromise her ethics. There's also a moon colony, a pandemic, mind control, a social media star prince, genetically hybrid humans, a scoundrel with a heart of gold, the stolen ship he loves, a palace guard who keeps his cards close to his chest, and a revolution about fighting the system by and for the people directly impacted by the oppression. And that's not to forget, near and dear to my heart, Eco, a robot buddy with a faulty personality chip. Meyer re- weaves in clever references to the old traditional tales, which reward deep fairy tale readers, and she pre plotted everything out, so the foreshadowing is fierce. 
The first book was published in 2012, and the quartet was added to with a collection of short stories, a villain origin novel, and a graphic novel duology starring Eco. I first came across the series while living abroad, and that cover image of a Cinderella foot with a cyborg foot faintly visible inside it definitely caught my eye. I'm a school librarian, and I love that this is a series I can hand to a mature 11-year-old looking for light romance and slightly more complexity in storytelling. But it's also a series that, as an adult, I can read and find utterly delightful. In my opinion, it might be a perfect YA series. The books have remained in print and are widely available at libraries. My hope is that the SFF TV renaissance we're having right now will mean this series gets adapted into a teen-friendly, jubilant, and fast-paced space opera. Although the books are already great, so you should read them. Thanks, Amy. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at xray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. Big thank you to Kemp Powers. What a wonderful interview he was. And that's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Uh, Go see Across the Spider-Verse. Really delightful. It's good. Lots of comic book creators worked on this movie, and I want them to get residuals. I want them to do it. I want them to be living life and enjoying it and having a great time. And I want you to watch the movie because it's delightful. Also, go and buy some comics. Go read some comics by these brilliant creators. And, of course, listen to us talking about those comics and the movies on here. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision on Wednesday, June 7th, where we finish our coverage of Yellow Jackets Season 2 on the beleaguered <gasps> Showtime Network. And those girls are looking beleaguered in that finale. <laughs> and subscribe on YouTube, where you can now watch full episodes of the show and check out the Discord to meet and hang with tons of amazing fans and listeners, plus me and Jason. Five-star ratings, five-star five, reviews. Five, we five, gotta five, have five, them. You five. gotta give them to us. Here's one from Bob Saget 4489 Simply the best! I could listen to Jason and Rosie talk all day. They're super knowledgeable when it comes to all things comics and just nerd culture in general. Listening to these two is always the highlight of my week. Thank you for keeping everyone sane. All the best. Bob Saget, 4489. Thank Thank you, you. Bob Saget, 4489. X-Ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Ewa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time, folks. Bye. Bye.